Are your assessments and grades in your classes a reflection of what students are able to do with the target language? Are the communication modes in there? Are there parts of your grade that are based on compliance to rules and routines? Well, in this episode, I'm going to look into what grading based on standards and a proficiency-based classroom looks like. And once again, luckily, there is a very useful chapter on this topic and the newly published book, Honing Our Craft. It gives us all the info we need to engage with standards-based grading for proficiency-based language instruction. Again, that's actually the title of Chapter (laughs) 7. Let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I am Joshua Cabral, and thank you, as always, for taking the time out of your week to join me to listen to teachers talk about language teaching and see what you can do differently in your class and be reassured that you're on the right track. All of those great things that you're doing that make you an effective educator. So thank you very, very much. So today, I want to look at the idea of assessment and grading. Now, this is huge in our classrooms right now. A lot of districts are looking at how they're grading, how they're assessing. Is it equitable? What does a grade actually represent? Is it just showing what students are doing to comply with rules or their behavior? Or is it really a representation of their skill level, their mastery? So many of those questions are coming up right now. And rightfully so. This is something definitely we should be talking about. So I want to look specifically at what that looks like in our world language classrooms. And I'm going to be doing this through the lens of chapter seven in Honing Our Craft and the whole idea of how we are grading, assessing, and what those grades indicate is truly and authentically a contemporary issue in classroom language teaching right now. So just a quick note about this book, Honing Our Craft. It is edited by Florencia Henshaw and Kim Patowski. And within this volume, there are 12 chapters that are written by different educators. And there is a focus on bridging the gap between research and practical application. So Florencia Henshaw and Kim Patowski have edited this volume, but each chapter is written by a different educator based on their areas of interest and research and publication. And the entire book is, in my opinion, it's incredibly useful for teachers, particularly if you're looking for practical suggestions for what you can do in your classroom and your very specific context with your students. This book, the way it's laid out, really helps educators to grasp fundamental aspects of language pedagogy, language teaching, but then there's always this balance between research and practice. And as I've done in the past, when I come across a resource that I think is so 
useful for you in the classroom. I want to talk about it. I want to tell you all about it. I want you to learn along with me from what's in there. And so to make sure you can get it, I reached out to Clet World Languages, who's the publisher of this book, and I told them I want to talk about it on the podcast. I want to tell teachers about this. They were, of course, really willing to give you, the listener of the World Language Classroom podcast, a 25% discount on honing our craft. So there's a link in the show notes, and you're going to use the discount code JOSHUA25HOC, H-O-C for honing our craft. So it's all caps, J-O-S-H-U-A, number 25, and then H-O-C, and you'll get honing our craft for 25% off, and it is an incredibly useful book. So just to recap the way it's laid out for each chapter, that within each of the individual chapters, again, written by someone who's really on the forefront of that particular issue that they're writing about in language teaching, there's that balance always between theoretical and actionable strategies for your classroom. And it really addresses real challenges faced by language educators. And I really appreciate the fact that in a lot of the book, you'll see these questions, but what about if, and what if this is the problem, or I'm having this issue, and they actually address it, because it is really meant to be for you to use in your classroom. So in each of the chapters, there are several sections. It always starts with an abstract that says, what is the chapter about? And then contextualization. This is where it addresses common questions, challenges, and things that we really need to understand fundamentally before we get into actually how to do it. Then there's a section on key terms. There's so many times when we're using words and they're out there in the language world, but do we really understand what they are? Then it looks at misconceptions, and this is they really look at what's out there and they refute or debunk some things or confirm what's being said out there. I love that section because it really helps me to reframe some things. And then there's a demonstration section where there are at least two really detailed examples of what is recommended so that you can clearly see how to do it in your classroom. And then there are suggestions at the end and really concrete suggestions so you can immediately do this in your classroom. And it ends with these two columns on one page. One says do and one says don't. You cannot get more concrete than that. It's like if you want to do this, do this and don't do that. So now to really dive into this conversation about standards-based grading, I'm going to walk through chapter seven because it has all the information in Honing Our Craft for taking on this challenging topic. And the title of chapter seven is Standards-Based Grading for Proficiency-Based Language Instruction. And this chapter is written by Jude Kwasniewski from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. And in the abstract at the beginning, where it's like, this is what this chapter is going to be about, Jude gets right into the idea that this type of grading and assessment, this standards-based grading and assessment, is a paradigm shift in education right now. And pointing out that a grade should be transparent and it should be an equitable representation of what students can do, you know, rather than looking at it as this haphazard compilation of performance and maybe some compliance or their efforts in there and completing things. You know, it can just be that haphazard 
compilation of all of that, and then really making it clear that this chapter is about how standards-based grading can be applied to the language classroom to promote learner autonomy and proficiency. So you get that right away at the beginning of this chapter, and then we get into the contextualization. And you know, he goes right into there are criticisms of the traditional grading system. They're out there, and some of them are the fact that there's such a variability in what exactly counts toward that percentage or that average or that grade that we're giving. You know, some teachers include non-academic factors like work habits, you know, if they're on time for class, if they're punctual, or if they are participating, or what's their level of effort or completion, how much they're doing, and if it's on time. And a lot of those things have very little to do with actually measuring their learning. And he really dives deep into that by looking at the work of Dweck from 2014 and Feldman in 2019 and also Townsley in 2019. And also using this idea of what a hodgepodge grade is, that it's attitude and effort and achievement. And that is citing Brickhart from 1991, who is calling it the hodgepodge grade. So it's really looking at what has been this traditional grade and what is it actually shown. And so looking at this idea that the score is no longer an accurate reflection of what the student can communicate in the target language. It's really a reflection of things like participation and effort and completion and punctuality. And so Krasnowski, the author of this chapter, gives some examples of two students with different grades based on non-academic factors. And in the end, you have these very different grades, maybe a student who did all their work but didn't really have much mastery, or you have a student who had a lot of mastery but didn't do so much work, and you end up with a student who did all the work getting a higher grade even though their mastery is lower because there's so many other factors that are going in. That's really the crux of what this paradigm shift is right now. And also adding in the idea of equity here and how the teacher may view that student and grade them even subconsciously based on what they think their participation is. And it's subjective at that point. And then continuing with the contextualization, we look in this chapter at the three core principles of standards-based grading. And the first one is that the focus should be on mastery of specific skills, and the grade describes that mastery. And also, multiple opportunities for students to demonstrate their learning and receive specific feedback, which is usually tied to a rubric. The multiple opportunities for learning is the academic way of saying reassessment or retake, which is a little bit of an issue with some teachers for sure. And the third principle is to separate factors such as behavior and punctuality, homework completion, and extra credit from the grade that shows mastery. And Krasnowski concludes this section by looking at this idea from Townsley in 2019, who is predicting a new wave of standards-based grading at the secondary level. And a lot of this is already happening at the elementary level because there are no grades happening there for the most part. And when there's no grade attached, there's more opportunity for feedback and assessment. Then what happens come middle school and going into the secondary schools and then into the university level, when there's that grade on there, it starts to look a little different, right? And what's involved in that grade. But again, predicting that there is this new wave of standards-based grading. 
So the next section gets into key terms and misconceptions when we're looking at standards-based grading. And the first term that the author looks at is proficiency. And really, what does proficiency mean? And it is language ability in the real world. It's unscripted and it's without practicing. That's what proficiency is. And then we have performance. Now, performance is what a student can do with practice in an educational setting. So proficiency, no practice, unscripted, out in the real world. Performance is what you're doing in an educational setting with practice. And then mastery is the highest level of it all. So we have this idea of proficiency, performance, and mastery. So the goal is for students to gradually improve their performance from assessment to assessment. And that's going to happen through feedback, learning and revision, all of those factors that come in. And then when they're out in the real world is where that proficiency will take over. So the performance is in the classroom, and we want that performance to increase or to improve with each assessment, and that's only going to happen through feedback, learning, and revision. The other thing to look at with the key terms is using standards. And standards-based grading can be used with really any set of standards. Krasnowski in this chapter references the world readiness standards, which are communication, cultures, connections, comparisons, communities, all of those things, or the actful can-do statements and performance descriptors, and that's including the intercultural can-do statements. So there are lots of standards that we can use. There might be even standards that exist within your state, Oh, you might be in a different country with different standards, the European standards. There's different ways of looking at this, but our assessments should be based on those standards, regardless of what they are, where they're coming from. The other thing to consider is the use of rubrics when we're looking at standards-based grading, because remember, one of the core principles of standards-based grading is to provide feedback so that students can revise, and they have multiple attempts to demonstrate that learning. And so you use a rubric to do that because they can concretely see where they need to improve or where they maybe fell short on something. So when it comes to rubric design, there are many options out there and formats available for sure. But there is an example that the author gives us in this chapter where it's really simplified to looking at three categories. So this example in the chapter is about presentational speaking. And the three categories are task completion, comprehensibility, and text type. Text type is that proficiency level. Is it novice high, novice mid, intermediate mid? And then everything is on a one, two, three, or four scale. So one is emerging performance, two is partially sustained performance, three is mostly sustained performance, and four is fully sustained performance. So if you're looking at any one of those categories, task completion, comprehensibility, text type, and then a one, two, three, or four. It keeps it really simple, and that is based on their performance. Is it emerging, partially sustained, mostly sustained, or fully sustained? Then the other term to look at is this idea of multiple attempts to demonstrate learning. So the author tells us here that we should use feedback to foster the use of multiple attempts for students to demonstrate that learning. And that feedback is mostly going to come through those rubrics. And we're told that retakes are not to be identical to the first assessment, and they should also not be more difficult. They should be assessing the same content, but in a different way. 
And the whole idea of reassessment and retakes, this is a hot topic with a lot of teachers and what's going on right now. But one of the things that Krasnowski points out in this chapter is that when you have a system of retakes, that it helps to reduce academic dishonesty, where students are cheating on that first attempt, or they are using Google Translate or an AI tool or something like that, because they are only doing that on the first attempt, right? But also because there are some concerns about whether or not students would just keep doing a retake every time and never study. You know, that's always the question or concern that comes up from teachers. And so I would suggest, and this actually comes up later in the chapter, that you have a system in place for retake opportunities, that students have done all of the practice. Maybe that was in the form of homework assignments. They've done all the formative assessments or that they have to meet with you, the teacher, that it's not just a given, but they need to be doing all of these things to be able to do that retake. And the idea is also that these are not required things, but if they are doing them all, eventually with this paradigm shift, they will start performing better on the assessment because they're doing all these things, and that's where the motivation comes to do it. And if they don't do well, looking back at that and making sure they've done them all so you have that system in place. Again, it's a paradigm shift, but something that we should definitely be looking at. So the last part of this misconceptions section is to look at grading behaviors that are unrelated to mastery. You know, and it's always the question of homework and just setting up that situation like I was just talking about when it comes to the retakes is that the homework leads to the mastery. You know, it's not for a completion grade. So if students don't see the connection, then why do it? So if you have them doing these homework assignments and it actually doesn't help them to practice and be better for the assessment, they're not going to see the connection. So we want to make sure that all of our assignments are leading students toward better performance or a higher level of performance so that they see the connection and see a reason to do it. And, you know, again, make it a requirement for retakes. And the other thing with these unrelated behaviors is what I mentioned earlier as well, that it removes the opportunity for implicit bias when we are assessing students or assigning a grade that have nothing to do with their actual mastery, but just behaviors, then there is that opportunity in there for implicit bias and not even realizing it and that it's happening that way. And that becomes an equity piece for sure. So then we move into the demonstrations, and in the demonstration section, it begins with this idea of converting a standards-based grade to a traditional letter grade, right? So that's something that a lot of us have to do, and this is, again, one of those parts that I really appreciate about honing our craft is that it's not just this theoretical thing because I still have to give a letter grade. That's all well and good, but, you know, so... Here in the demonstrations, we see some ways of taking your standards-based grade, which might be on a four scale, a four-point scale, and converting that to a letter scale. And I've actually done that myself, and I've combined it with a single-point rubric, which is from Jennifer Gonzalez at the Cult of Pedagogy. And then the second demonstration is looking at our grade books and the categories. You know, traditionally, it would be like quiz, exam, participation, homework, but rather than doing that, make it the modes. So interpersonal, presentational speaking, presentational writing, 
the interpretive reading, interpretive listening, but then adjust to the proficiency level. So for example, in my novice level classes, in my grade book, my interpretive reading and interpretive listening percentages are higher than the interpersonal because that is more important and more valuable at the beginning levels, right? That comprehensible input part. And then you even them out more as you get into the intermediate level. And my own personal thing I would also add in here is I include a formative category for learning to be a student is what I call it and learning some things about responsibility and having materials and things like that. It's a very small percentage, but it's sometimes a motivating factor for students. So that, again, that's my own take on that. And then the final section of the chapter, we get into the suggestions, right? And so the first suggestion is to focus on standards and create rubrics accordingly and to make sure that we are differentiating, that there are opportunities for students with different learning levels, or maybe we even have to honor IEPs and 504s and different things like that. And that we also want to focus on formative and summative assessments. And we need to decide if the formative will be included in a grade or if it's just used as a requirement to take the summative or to do a retake. So these might be smaller quiz grades, if you want to call it that, along the way, that you have to actually take all of those formatives before you can take the summative. So just figuring out what that is. And remembering, formative is assessment for learning, whereas the summative is a summative grade at the end. And then the final part, my absolute favorite part of the entire book is the do's and don'ts, really concrete at the end. So when it comes to standards-based grading, Krishnowski tells us to plan units around our learning goals and then to collaborate with colleagues so that you have common rubrics, assessments, and learning goals that are based on standards, you know, not like those grammar things that we talked about earlier. And then also to plan for reassessments and retakes so that we have additional versions right away and then decide what the requirements are going to be so that students can do the retake. You know, so looking back at did they do the homework assignments? Did they do all of the formative? So decide that in advance. And then the don't. Don't create retakes that are more difficult. And then also don't limit scores on retakes and reassessments. Sometimes teachers will average them, but Krasnowski in this chapter on standards-based grading says that if we're going to give a retake or a reassessment, we want to allow students to receive the full credit and count the new grade, the most recent representation of their skills or their learning or their mastery, rather than holding them to previous knowledge. And the same thing happens when you're grading throughout an entire term, that at the end of the term, students may be using a structure or vocabulary with ease, but earlier in the term they were not, and yet they have this previous quiz grade that was a C, and now they're more at an A level, and then they end up with a B. So this idea of having a student's grade represent their most recent skills, learning or mastery. 
So that was a walkthrough of Chapter 7 in Honing Our Craft, all about standards-based grading by Jude Krishnowski. And I think that everything in there is very digestible with all of the suggestions. And I will be speaking uh, with Florencia Henshaw and Kim Patowski, who are the editors of this book, Honing Our Craft, in the coming weeks. So be sure to check out that episode because we'll have some questions about how did you decide what went into this book or the format or how it works. And also, don't forget that there is a link in the show notes to get your own copy of Honing Our Craft. So Clet World Languages is offering you a 25% discount on the book. So use the link in the show notes and use the discount code JOSHUA25HOC. And while you're there, also be sure to click the link to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. And there's also that link to get in touch with me if you would like to work together, either in person in your school or remotely. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so that you never miss an episode. Let's keep the conversation going on social media. Connect with me on X, aka Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at WL Classroom. And for even more valuable resources, visit my website, wlclassroom.com, where you'll find over 300 blog posts about language teaching. So stay inspired, keep growing, and continue making a difference in your language classroom.